Jesus Christ. Here we go. Oh, it's so hot. It's so hot right now. I'm recording this. I should have left my AC running in the living room. I'm sweating my fucking balls off recording this. But um, but I'm here. How's everybody been? I've had a good summer so far, you know. I've had a pretty decent summer. Um, I've, I've had, like, spurts of summer activities, which is nice. Like, sometimes, like, just full-on vacation for, like, five, six weeks straight can be exhausting in itself. I've had, like, spurts of weekends and one week between the, you know, that week of the 4th. Where I had a lot of homies over. Did I, t- I don't even remember the last time. Did I talk about this last episode? Oh, I don't know. Who cares? Who cares? But, um... I've been doing all right for the most part. I literally do dog shit at the summer camp I work at right now. It's honestly the best thing ever. Um, I sit in an air-conditioned room and I watch the fucking boondocks all day. God damn, the fucking boondocks. You know what? Before I continue, let's start the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Nothing to Do podcast. I am your host, Jeremy. And God damn it, the Boondocks is a fucking classic, man. I've been watching the Boondocks literally all week at work today. At uh, get today, All week at work this week and last week. And damn, that shit is fucking hilarious. Aaron McGrew, that's like, it's like Family Guy meets Chappelle's show meets um samurai shit and <laughs> shampoo or some shit like god they they did such a good job with that show um are white people allowed to like the boondocks i don't know are they cuz it's like it's pretty like it's pretty i mean i guess are white people allowed to like Chappelle show if you really think about it obviously the answer is yes but with characters like Uncle Yo, Uncle Ruckus, he has me. Even I feel like, damn, should I even be laughing at this shit? Like I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm not white, but damn, like this, they, they, they fucking spazzed on the Uncle Ruckus character. But the the cake definitely got to go to fucking Stink Meaner. Yo, that man Stink Meaner. Was such a fucking menace, such a fucking chaotic force that he died and he got kicked out of hell because he was too boss for hell and the devil sent him back up. Yo, that episode of Stick Me is so funny. Oh my God. Um, for those of you who know what I'm talking about, that's awesome. That's, you know. But uh, yeah, Stink, Stink Me is basically the, the biggest, most heinous nigga alive. And he wreaks havoc on on um on just people in general and 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 granddad and I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. Anyways, Boondocks, great show. White people, I don't know if you can like it. Um yeah, I don't know if you're allowed to like it because it's very it's it seems like one of those things that that maybe you hold close as uh people of color. No, I'm just joking. Y'all can like whatever the fuck you want, right? Um Damn it, the fucking Red Sox. 
having sucking a fat. That's it. It's over. We, we're selling. Red Sox sell. Get rid of Bogarts. Bo, Bogey, we love you. Sell Bogarts. Sell J.D. Martinez. Sign Devers. Get some pitching. Um, It really went from like, we went from a shitty start because of Cora's beard to being like one of the best teams in baseball for like a month. Granted, we were playing shitty teams, but we, we were taking care of business to just getting outright dogged the fuck out in our division, going into the all-star break and to resume the, and to just pick up where we left off and give up damn near 30 runs to the Toronto Blue Jays at home at Fenway Park. Damn. I actually went to Fenway. Um, I went to Fenway about a month ago. And it was, I hadn't been in like five. I could have sworn I've talked about this last time. I don't even know. Um, and it was a great experience. But we got our ass beat by, um, by, uh, by the Rays. And... Yeah, it was great. Shout out to Alex. He was a friend of the pod. He was on the show before. Him and I, we had um, we we had a lot, a nice night. We went to Fenway. It fucking rained. We stayed there like diehard fans. We were down by four runs, started raining in the seventh. Everybody left except the diehards, and that's when the game really gets fun, right? Because that's when all the fucking, all the trashy Boston people stay, and fucking all the drunks, and fucking all the real diehard fans, and you can hear just everybody yelling and talking shit, and it's actually so much more fun when um, when you can experience Red Sox on, like, on that level. But I'm definitely trying to go back to Fenway soon. Um, a lot of new music has come out recently, too. Actually, you know, we're halfway through the year. We're halfway through the year, and so it's time that I... Do some halfway through the year superlatives, right? We have albums that came out. We have this, that, and the third. We have music. We have TV shows. There's stuff I want to talk about. Cause you know what movie I did watch? Um, actually, now that I know now now that I'm thinking about this, I know I didn't have I didn't talk about any of this shit I thought I talked about in the last episode because I watched everything everywhere all at once. And boy, oh boy, let me tell you, that movie was like, that movie was on some other shit. That movie was insane. I give it, I give it a four and a half out of five bags of popcorn. And I need to watch it again because I was, it was late. I was tired. I was, I had been drinking a little bit when I watched it. But, um, yeah, that movie was great. And that's another reason, another example of why, yet again, (coughs) excuse me, why, Hollywood needs to start backing these independent sort of indie type films and steer away from the fucking algorithm of big remakes and Marvel movies. And I mean, I like Marvel movies, but you know what I'm like? All of just like the high budget, like dog shit ass films. I heard, I haven't even watched it, but I heard that new Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, whatever. I heard that movie sucked. Um, There honestly really hasn't been that good, that good of a um that good of a uh, of a marvel movie like after endgame aside from like spider-man and like shang chi they've all kind of sucked all these marvel projects they all kind of sucked i heard, i haven't even watched black widow but i heard it was bad uh multiverse of madness was like 
It, it really tried to ride on that Spider-Man multiverse hype, and it fell flat in a lot of ways. It was it was overrated. I'll say that. Or it was overhyped, and it wasn't a bad movie, but it wasn't nothing crazy. Um, Eternals wasn't great. Um, had potential to be great, but like they tried to fit like this whole fucking crazy timeline story saga in like two and a half hours of a movie, and it wasn't great. Um, I'm trying to even the shows like WandaVision kind of sucked for the first half. Moon Knight was fire. Moon Knight's another Moon Knight was fire. Um, Captain Falcon or the gig, uh, Falcon Winter Soldier was pretty mid. I'm not even watching Miss Marvel. I heard it was maybe okay, but I'm not watching Miss Marvel. Uh, Loki was good, but yeah, all, all, all in all, like these Marvel movies have been dog shit, honestly. And when it comes to the multiverse, everything, everywhere, all at once did what Marvel, what it looks like Marvel is having trouble doing is making a nice cohesive film about like multiple universes and all this shit like that. Um, and it was great. It was fun, and it was, like, it was a very, it was, and it even took, even, like, where it took place. Like, it took, all of it mo- mostly took place in, like, one setting, which is, un- like, which is kind of unreal when you think about it. Like, this all took place, and then, like, obviously, the traveling back and forth in terms of, whatever, I'm not going to spoil the movie, but it was a great movie with a great message. Very heartwarming, very funny, very touching. I suggest you see it. Four and a half out of five bags of popcorn. And again, you guys, or not even you guys, but in general, Hollywood, filmmakers, whatever, we need to start backing these types of movies, these types of like groundbreaking groundbreaking movies that are trying to reach something that hasn't been reached yet, right? And we've, uh, and like, and I've, I tried to make a list, and I know I missed a bunch. And so I'll probably, I'm going to end up revisiting this topic eventually. But movies that fucking thrived when Hollywood let creators do their thing. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Great example. Get Out is another one. I've talked about Get Out. Um, you know what? I even threw that show Atlanta in there. I got to finish the third season. Now, the premise of Atlanta in terms of, you know, it's a classic tale of like, you know, rap star you know, of a rap star trying to make it, right? But the way they went about, the way they told the story and the way they incorporated sort of like the horror and thriller genre into like a comedy slash like drama, it was um, it was like very unique in its own sense. So I almost throw Atlanta, the way that, that, that they let Atlanta go in the direction that it went in in terms of how they tell that story. Um, I'll throw Atlanta in there. Again, Breaking Bad is another one I'll throw in there. That, although obviously, like, the the makings of a drug kingpin is, like, a classic Hollywood tale that people love telling, that story storytellers love telling. I feel like I'm speaking really fast. Let me slow down. Woosa, <sighs> let me slow down. Breaking Bad was original in the sense as to how they chose to told that, tell that story and through the lens of, like, a middle-aged fucking chemistry teacher who, like, basically, you know, lost his balls, for for lack of a better term, and was, like, looking to take his manhood back. And the way it told it through that lens, um, I would put that in there, in that, um, in that category. Um, and like I said, like, yeah, I don't know, um, I, I know there's more, and I had, I, 
I had in my head, but when I was writing this list, a lot of them went blank. But like when Hollywood, you know, like filmmakers and Netflix and Prime and Hulu, they really need to start backing these fucking types of uh, uh, of stories um, because obviously they're going to always genuine generate revenue when it comes to like quality fucking material like these big budget remakes remasters this that and the third it's not hitting it's not hitting no more all right even marvel's even marvel's starting to lose its fucking it's um it's starting to lose its light in a lot of ways. However, they did just come out with that lineup, with that crazy ass lineup. Finally, they unveiled the the two Avenger movies that, that are gonna come out in like three, four years. It's gonna be Kong Dynasty and Secret Wars. And this is the quote unquote multiverse saga. I'm excited for that. What I'm really excited for is they announced Daredevil Born Again on Disney Plus, which is gonna be fire. Um, because Daredevil on Netflix was was amazing and um and yeah, the trailer to Black Panther looks it looks um it looks interesting. It could either be really good or it could be a total motherfucking tragedy. Uh because it's not gonna be the same without um our guy Chadwick, right? Um, what else was announced? What else was announced? Fantastic Four, we knew that's coming out in like two years. Blade, it's coming out in like two years. Um but yeah, I'm really excited. I'm excited for uh, Daredevil. Daredevil's gonna be fucking fire. But yeah, Hollywood, what the fuck, man? Start supporting original fucking content, original screenplays, original work. We've seen work and take you. That movie, nope. I heard. Actually, I don't. Wouldn't even say. I haven't heard much about the movie except for a podcast I listened to, and it was Bobby Lee's podcast, and he said he loved the movie. Other than that, I haven't heard much. But Get Out was amazing. I'm going to love this movie. Nope. Us was dope. It wasn't as good as Get Out. But even then, it's just like the it, the fact that that type of story and that type of horror film was like, it's just so unique. It just, it, it makes it a good film, you know, in and of itself. Um, definitely wasn't as good as Get Out. But yeah, yo, I mean, God damn, like, it's just like, it's exhausting. Watching all these fucking shitty ass remakes sometimes is like not, nothing to be excited for in terms of like shit that's coming out. Oh, I almost forgot. I saw the fucking weekend uh, at Gillette Stadium. Shout out to my boy Tom, Tom Leotar. He hit me up. He won um two tickets at a raffle uh, for his job. And he, he was like, yo, let's go to this. The weekend put on a motherfucking show. That man can perform. And I had I had a low bar for a type of show like that because when I saw listen, when I saw Travis Scott in 2019, I I lied. I realized that I was lying to myself. I said it was an okay show. I tried to give it the, the benefit of the doubt. But after seeing the weekend, it is without question that that Travis Scott show fucking sucked. <laughs> and he needs to he clearly um, only cares about the rage aspect of his shows, um, as opposed to the actual performance because like the acoustics were off, his voice sounds different. He just you can't even hear him. 
um, at least from what I remember. And now people are dying at his concerts, which is why I kind of took a step back, right? Um, but uh, anyways, yeah, The weekend, his voice, that sounds incredible. Like, honestly, he's come a long way as an artist in terms of, like, where his voice was when it's, like, he had his own sound, and his voice was unique in the sense that... um. It was a, it was different, right? And he made it work for him with like, especially with like, he was singing R and B, but like, it was like very explicit lyrics, like, "Why don't you sit on my face while I fuck you straight?" This bitch gave me head for four hours up, or the, all you know, shit like that, right? But he has elevated, like, he actually has a good fucking voice, and he did a great job. Uh, I swear, yo, that section I was sitting in, they definitely saw a set, they saw a part of my soul. For like a good fifteen minutes of that concert, there was um a little set that he did of um he went from what did he start with? I think it was like I was never there, and then he did like this own like original version of like Wicked Games, and then he did call out my name, and I was like yo, I remember turning over time like yo, I wish I was on every drug right now. I only had a couple beers, but it's just like it's one of those things where it was like yo. If I was just, I, I wish I was a Molly, acid, shrooms, coke. I don't give a fuck. I wish I could experience this just fucking high, just peaking right now. And for those of you listening to this right now, it's like, Jeremy, how could you say that? You're saying you can't enjoy a show high? You're telling me you can't find that high? Well, fuck you, man. Fuck you. I'm not saying you can. You obviously can, right? But there is no way that you can duplicate or match an experience if you were just like tripping on something like I don't think I think it would have just elevated that much more and I think obviously like when it comes to like the danger of those types of drugs it's just like when you kind of obviously rely on on that to constantly have a good time that's a whole other thing but I honestly don't think like if that was like a one-off experience I don't think being sober could match that if it's a good high I don't. I don't think it can. Like it, you would just like if this is the cap right here, being on whatever you are, it'll take you here, and that's and that's that. And I remember in that moment being like, "Damn, I kind of wish I was right here. I was up here, just high as shit, off my life, coming undone at the weekend show." But yeah, yo, that that um, that show was incredible, uh, and it also reminded me of the dangers of um. <laughs> of underage uh, girls. I don't even want to say women, fucking girls. It is unreal how grown these fucking high school girls look nowadays. It is scary. It is scary. I don't even like making eye contact with them because, listen, this show, listen, this show is, it was like, it's like 90% fucking you know, high schoolers, they don't know no they don't know no Kiss Lane. They don't know nothing about trilogy. They don't know Wicked Games. They don't know the morning. They know I can't feel I can't feel my face. That's what they know. And that's cool. And that's good. I love New Weekend and I love Old Weekend. But yo, it is fucking scary. And it's and it's the first I actually my professor in my ed psych class, right? She we I forget how we got on this tangent, but she was basically talking about how um how even kids nowadays, they're going through puberty at a lot earlier age. Like, instead of it being, like, 12, 13, 14 years old, you know, kids are going through puberty at fucking 8, 9 years old, 
10 years old. And it's like they're becoming like fucking grown. Like their their body is becoming in the. So I, I'm speaking with regards to women. Like they're they're turning into women at ages 13, which is fucking terrifying for so many reasons. But I'm coming at it at the angle that I do not want to catch a case. I was trying my best to give off like I can't even give off a dad vibe because like I clearly don't look old enough. But I was literally just like, do not, don't even, don't even look at me. Don't even just don't even look at me right now because it is unreal. Just fucking 15, 16 year old girls with fucking bodies. And she's like, oh, my God, like you're this is insane. Get me like get me the fuck out of here. Um, But yeah, yo, it, the the weekend was a um, it was a, an incredible experience. I went for free. I would have paid money for it again. I'm going to give that a four point nine out of five bags. Fucking made my week last week. Don and Femme, still, I almost forgot about that album. Great, and, which is funny because I literally, that was all I was listening to for the first like four months of 2022 because he, that mo- that album came out in like January, like the second week of January. Um, which leads me to the best albums of 2022 so far as of July 25th, 2022. All these all these fantastic albums that, that have come out. I know I've missed some. We're going to go down the list here, ladies and gentlemen. And since I got some better lighting right now because the sun just came out, I'm going to switch over to camera one. Lighting still sucks on camera one right now. But let's see. First, first, first things first. First on the list, the Dreamville tape. The Dreamville tape, so far, one of the most surprising drops of 2022, had a lot of great hits. That first, um, it was a great tape, great, um, great features, Ari Lennox's tracks, they were both amazing, obviously, obviously all of J. Cole's tracks were dope, um, there was a lot of sleeper tracks from artists that I obviously, like, I don't really listen to, but, like, I just, I forgot how cohesive of a group Dreamville is till I saw, heard this tape. I This is the, the, the D-Day, the D-Day tape, right? Dreamville 3. The second one that came out, I wasn't too crazy about. I like this one a lot better. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to give that, I'll give the Dreamville tape a, a 3.7 out of 5, out of 5 bags. Um... Next up, we have Peace Fly God. Peace Fly God. Yo, this album comes out, and it reminds me why it is I really only check for West Side Gun and just like the the Griselda camp in general. West Side Gun specifically brings a level of artistry to gangster and drug rap that you cannot find anywhere else, and I'm going to say that right now. And that man, Stove God Cooks, Give that he is the feature artist of the last two, three years. Fuck Lil Baby. Forget J. Cole and his features, who honestly this year has had probably top three of the top five best features so far that I can think of off the top of my head. There is something about Stove God Cooks when he hops on a track with Boldy, with Conway, with West Side Gun specifically. Where this motherfucker just spazzes. Hey, yo, and the thing with Stove God too, 
is that he's like a one-trick pony. And I don't mean this in any, like, I don't mean this in, in any disrespectful or, like, in a, in a, in a talking down, like, in a negative. I don't mean this in a negative way at all. Like, he literally talk, he talks about cooking cocaine, right? He talks about drugs and shit. And then he, like, like, he, in conjunction, he, like, juxtaposes it with, like, these, like, uh, metaphors and, like, um, and, like, bringing, you know, very niche but legendary, like, NBA athletes into his raps. Um, but every single time, it just, fu- every, he just hits, and like, he just fucking finds the X and he hits the X on the spot. Like, on the spot, bro. Honestly, Stove God, Stove God makes me feel like I sell drugs. He makes me feel like I want to sell drugs and that I want to sell cocaine and crack and all that shit. Like, honestly, I listen to Stove God and I, I'm literally about to go, I'm about to go fucking polish up my resume if you know what I'm saying. Like, he, yo, like, I don't even, I don't, I don't know another way to put it. Stove God, uh, keep fucking giving us, keep feeding us, keep feeding us, Stove God. We are taking communion by the stove, okay? We're taking communion at the stove. And we are listening to you preach, and I am here. I'm here for the Stove God Church, all right? Peace fly, God. I'm going to give that, like, I'm going to give that a 4-1. Probably give it a 4-1 out of five bags of popcorn. Let's see, I am fucking sweating. Like, I want to push through this episode, but I am so fucking hot right now. Oh, my God. Next one. We got Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. It's funny because I switched over to camera one, and I've just been looking at camera two this whole time. So I'm just going to go back to camera two. <sighs> Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. I don't even know what to say. I'm gonna four point seven. You get a four point seven out of five bags of popcorn. Um, Kendrick Lamar, like he he lived up to the hype and possibly exceeded it. He elevated his sound, I like, to a place where you still like, or elevated his music to a place where you you forget that someone can go to. He got really personal, and he called out a lot of bullshit that's been going on in the last five years. Um, yeah, and it, it was an incredible, I really don't have much else to say, but it was a fucking incredible album. Really, the, if there was only one knock, and it's not even a knock, because even that track, that one track with Kodak, like, that shit's a banger, but, like, it's definitely not an album that you can play <laughs> around people, really. Um, but who cares, right? Like, it was fucking amazing. I've heard it's honestly so many times. So yeah, what did I say? Four point seven out of five. Kendrick, you're the fucking you to go. Next, next is honestly never mind. Now I think I said this when that album came out. I was completely expecting something different. I was expecting bars from Drake from honestly never mind. Yeah, and instead he gave us. He gave us that. That being said, I enjoyed it. I think it's a really fun album. 
Uh, I think if you are like actually like into like house music on a certain level, like more than average, I think uh, this is still like a a fine album. Not even like it's probably subpar. Like I bet you, if I were to talk to like a house music, like someone who actually listens to actual house, like which I actually have, and they said that like a lot of the songs have felt like they felt incomplete, um, very. Shout out, shout out Joe and my boy Connor and Joe Zuko. They even mentioned like it just sounded like a lot of um, of those stock audios that they have on like Spotify, like those royalty-free audios, like royalty-free house music. That's what it sounded like. But I enjoyed it a lot, um, and I'm still listening to it. I'm going to give it like a three and a half or, or, or three bags out of five. Uh, Tana Talk 4, I forgot that came out today. Benny the Butcher. Again, solid. He's not my favorite in the camp. I mostly like his features that he has uh, with Conway and with Westside. Um, he's definitely more for for the trappers, for the real hood niggas. Um, I'll give that like a 3.2 out of five bags. He has some good tracks. He had that track with Stove, obviously. That was really good. He had a track with Bully. That was fire. Um, it's almost dry. By Pusha T, the very much anticipated follow-up album uh, from Daytona. Uh, I thought it was solid. I, nothing blew me away. I don't think it was as good as Daytona. Daytona literally blew me away from track one and track eight or <laughs> track seven, whatever it was. Um, I really like the first two tracks on uh, on It's Almost Dry, but... um. I wasn't underwhelmed, but I wasn't overwhelmed. I'll give it a 3.9 out of 5 bags. Next, I Never Liked You. Um, classic Future album. I'm, I actually only listened to it once, so it's not even fair for me to like actually go in on it either way or another, but I really like that song with Drake. Uh, the last one, not the one with Thames. Like, that one's fine, I guess, too. Um, I'll give it a 3. Give it a 3. Uh, a sleeper album that came out that a lot of people don't know about. Blame Kansas with TF and Rock Marciano. Um, and that also leans more towards this, like that Griselda sound. Um, I thought that was a solid album. Uh, that came out in February, I think. Um, and I'll give that like a 3.7. Um, had a, some good tracks. He had that one track, Olaith, with um, with Conway. Uh, yeah, I just, I'm personally, I'm really into that sound. Right now with um uh with hip hop and rap in general. So that's kind of where I'm leaning at. Next, Umberano Sinti, Bad Bunny. Uh another very vibey uh summary Bad Bunny album. He doesn't really miss. I actually got offered uh Bad Bunny tickets, so I might even go see him in a month. Um hopefully that'll be a fun. I don't think it is gonna be as fun as um the weekend, but there should be, there should be, uh, the, the, the ladies will be out there tonight. It's fucking nice out. Who's trying to chill, smoke some loud, feel me? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Un sin ti, I listened to it, like, once all the way through. I really like that song, Apagón, um, the Dembo song he had, uh, Titi Me Pregunto. It's good. I like the opening song. I'll give it a 3.4, uh, just because, I don't know, it's fr- maybe... Because the reggaeton sound is so distinct and so, so it sounds very repetitive, 
that it's very hard to elevate your sound with that Hegetong hey album. That being said, Bad Bunny does manage to find a way to elevate his sound and evolve his sound as a reggaeton artist, which I really do appreciate. But yeah, I'll give it, what did I say, a 3.2? Is that what I said? All right, well, that's what I'm saying now. It's fun. Cookout music, you know? Summer music. Dawn FM! Dawn FM. Maybe I'm just, maybe I should get the weekend stick out of my mouth. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I just love the weekend too much. Everybody I talked to about this album wasn't crazy about it. I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was fine. I thought he did here with the album what Drake wanted to do with Honestly Nevermind in terms of changing his sound. Um, but he made a complete album. Um, he made a very cohesive and complete album. And it was like, it was very, even, I mean, I said this in the past with Honestly Nevermind. Um, where it's like, even a lot of those songs, like it's considered like a house album, right? But it's like, you're not even, um, like a lot of those songs could easily been on any of his other albums as a, one of his R&B tracks. Like, I don't think with this, with like the exception of like Massive and like maybe two other tracks, like there's not, like you could have found, you could have easily found all those songs on another Drake album. So even on that level, I didn't, I don't think he took that much of a risk. Don FM though, those first four tracks, I think the the first four tracks of that album were a completely different sound than you heard on any of the weekend's other albums, except for maybe like Kissland. But like, um, yeah, I I thought it was great. I thought it was I thought it was very refreshing. I thought it was fun. Um, I there's not really the only song I wasn't crazy about was, um. Lesson Zero, like, I didn't care for that track too much. But he perf- that performance, honestly, the way he performed that, it was, like, one of my, my favorite songs of that performance. Like, that lesson, like, he really killed uh, the Lesson Zero uh, at Gillette. Don FM, you get a four-point. Damn, I'm really about to give. Well, they're two different genres. I gave Marat, Mr. Morale 4.7. I'm giving Don FM a 4.7. Yes, 4.7. Drip Season Forever. Um, Drip Season Forever. That's the Gunna album, right? That was fine. I'll give it a... Um, I'll give it a 3-3. Because I like Gunna. Free YSL, right? Uh, not that many tracks that sit out for me either. Um, I'm also biased. I'm kind of like... My taste is kind of leaning away towards that sound of rap right now. Uh, so that's why I really didn't care for it too much. Um, so yeah, I mean, but if we're gonna, if I'm going top three albums of the year so far, um, I'm gonna have to go Peace Fly God. I'm gonna have to go Mr. Morale, and I'm gonna have to go Don FM. Uh, yeah, and I'm gonna have to go with Stove God as feature artist, not only of this year but of last year and the year before. Stove God, we take communion on the stove. Have a books have a book signing by the stove. You know what I'm saying? What he said. He said, Take the other door if we gonna fit them all. Is it fire? Is it fit? No. He said it don't matter long as we get it off. And when they overdose it, make him get it more. To this day. You know nothing about that. I know nothing about that. But when he raps it, I feel like I know something about that. Alright? And that's what I like to feel when I listen to music. If you can make me feel like I sell drugs and I know all about the drug game, 
on top of the fact that like the level of actual artistry and production that goes behind a West Side album, fucking yes, like let's go. Like I'm all for it. Okay? Take communion on the stove, baby. Um Yeah. God damn, where was I? So yeah, that that those are my picks. What I what are we still waiting on for, for the rest of the year? I'm trying to think. I got to go back. I remember I, I had my predictions episode. Maybe I have it still in my notes here in terms of what I, who I thought was going to drop um, for, for this year. It's definitely in my Google Docs, but I, I even forgot the name of it. Um, I said SZA. We're still waiting for a SZA album. She came out with some singles in these last you know 12 months. Uh, Rihanna's due up, but I doubt she's dropping anything anytime soon. Knock on wood, you know, maybe that's just me putting that reverse energy out there. This is me saying that, hoping that she does drop an album with her, you know, with new inspiration from her dear beloved child that was born a couple months ago. Um, will I conclude this section of this episode of a of superlatives, and now I'm going to transition uh, to a very beloved segment that I have been trying to develop, which has been a while since I've last done it, um, and I'm going to take a stab at it again. I don't know why I always just feel so dumb when I'm trying to articulate this segment, um, and like I didn't put in enough work. But hey, it's fine. I feel like I'm yelling into the mic, and I'm going to hear this when I'm editing it. I'm going to be fucking mad at myself. I got to bring the levels down right now. But here we go. It's another day and another read yourself to death. And today, my lovely um, my lovely audience, I'm going to talk about the default to truth theory. What is default to truth, you ask, Jeremy? Well, let me explain it to you. Do you ever feel... Have you ever been manipulated or lied to or deceived and have kind of felt like, what the fuck? Why would you lie to me about that? Why would you not tell me the truth about that? Why would you say that you did X, Y, Z when you really did A, B, and C, right? Well, you're not alone. Uh, no, I so I read this book. It's called um, uh, what talking. It's called talking to strangers. What to know about the people we don't know, by the very very intelligent Malcolm Gladwell. This is the second Malcolm Gladwell book I've read in the last twelve months. Um, he's dope. He has um a lot of insight. He basically a lot of his book, or at least these two books, where he takes a lot of big stories, whether it's the Jerry Zandusky trial, whether it's Bernie Madoff, whether it's Sandra Bland, um, and other maybe not so big stories, but just things that have happened throughout history. Whether it's been experiments, you know, um, police, um, policing in Kansas City was a big topic that he talked about in the 90s. Uh, pol- policing. Anyways, he takes these sort of stories these events, these things have taken place and kind of offers a new perspective, a new lens on how to view them and how one or how these people in these stories have ended up in the situation. 
Um, and I want to talk about today, Anna Belen Montes. The story of Anna Belen Montes, who was one of the U.S.'s most, most, how should I put it? She was just an A-plus student of the DIA, of the government. She was considered the queen of Cuba uh, for the intel that she and just the way she, and the intel she provided from the DIA, the DIA being the Defensive Intelligence Agency, it's the DIA, the NSA, which is National Security Administration, and the CIA, and those are like the three like defensive branches of the United States government, right? And she worked for the DIA, and she was like, she was just top, she was just the cream of the crop, like she was groomed. People thought she was going to be the next director of the DIA, right? Um, and it turns out she was one of the most she was the one of the most damaging U.S. Sp- Cuban spies. She was a spy for Cuba that the U.S. the U.S. has seen in decades. And the way that story unfolded, um, you know, you you read about. You know, when you see movies or you read books about, you know, these fucking, about espionage and 007 or whatever it means, and these spies, and they make it seem like, you know, these spies are jumping through hoops and they're just the, the most intelligent, the most conniving, deceiving, like, cunning people on earth, right? When in real life, that's really not much this ca- not much the case. He explains, um, Malcolm Gladwell, that, that being, he talks about sort of um, espionage and just how the CIA and the DIA and the NSA and the U.S. government in general has been, has been infiltrated by Cuban spies and Russian spies in the past. And these spies aren't the James Bond, fucking Idris Elba, fucking Ryan Gosling type, super studded, smart, intelligent espionage. A lot of them are drunks. Um, they're degenerate gamblers. They have issues. Um, there was one in specific of this guy Aldrich Aldrich Alms or Ames. I, I he talks about his story. He was a pretty damning um, spy that was uncovered in the U.S. Um, but this girl, this lady, this woman, this treacherous, this treacherous hoe, treacherous bitch. In the words of this of fucking stink meaner, this no good lying ass bitch. <laughs> oh man. Um. She was the cream of the crop. She was uh, just like the best employee. She was the best um, agent that the DIA has seen in a while. Um, and red flags started getting... Well, there was flags before, but I want to start with the story of the Hermanos Arrescate in the 90s. A lot of you know Cuban refugee, Cuban immigrants, uh, refugees were going fleeing from Cuba to... Um, uh, to Florida, and um, these these Cubans, they were American citizens from Florida, but these Cubans, they started, they were, they called themselves the Hermanos al Rescate, and they uh, started chartering flights. They were not necessarily legal. Um, I, to be honest, I forget the legality of it, but they were basically doing these refugee flights where they were saving these these Cubans looking um, for asylum from Fidel and his regime and flying them to uh, 
to Florida. And Cubans couldn't do anything about it because technically the Cubans were, uh, that those flights were taking place, this operation was taking place in international waters, which means that if Cuba uh, decides that they want to take action and shoot, shoot one of these planes down, it's basically like committing an act of war against the U.S., which is the last thing that they needed or wanted at the time, right? So this is going on, right? This is going on until this guy, I believe Scott, I don't know, not Scott Carmichael, it's just Adam, um, this guy, Car- Admiral Carroll, some guy in the U.S., right? He ends up meeting with the Cuban government, right? About to, And they were having talks, a little diplomacy meeting, and the Cuban government asked him, you know, what would have happened if, uh, let's say, hypothetically speaking, we were to shoot one of these motherfucking planes down? What, what, what would happen then? And um, the response wasn't, it wasn't too alarming. It wasn't too, um, there wasn't much urgency in the response. Anyways, that being said, a day later, two days later, there was another operation going from Hermanos Arrescate, and lo and behold, they get fucking shot down. And then a day after that, that guy that was in the meeting with the Cubans goes and basically goes on national TV and was like, well, they were warned, and they didn't do anything, so basically sort of like playing the hand of... um of, you know, basically giving the Cubans and the the state of Cuba, like, good PR in this and essentially saving them from a fucking war. Anyways, I am getting lost in the story here. This meeting was actually set up by this girl, Ana Belen Montes, right? And she was questioned about it. And when she was questioned about it, she had the deer in the headlights look. And the guy, remember the, the guy, I think Scott Carmichael was the one who's kind of um, conducting the, um, the investigation as to whether she is part of, um, she's a Cuban spy or not. And she like, his, his, um, his, uh, his fucking heat. I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> excuse me, guys. Excuse me. I'm trying to show y'all that I'm smart, okay? I am smart and I am capable. All right? So just bear with me as I get to my point as to wherever I'm getting. Um, But, yeah, so she she was basically, like, deer in the headlights, was completely, like, quiet and silent, like, not defending herself when she was being accused of possibly being a spy, and, um, which is one red flag, boom, that's, a, that's already a red flag, but the guys who were conducting the investigation, they kept giving her the benefit of the doubt, oh no, this girl is queen of Cuba, her service to the United States and the DIA have been nothing but exemplary, you know, she is the cream of the crop, all this. Apparently, it turns out even after that that whole debacle when the planes got shot down, when some, apparently so when something like that happens in the Pentagon and they get called into the crisis room or whatever room it is, you are there until they tell you you can leave. And she left that day. She got a call, she got a phone call. She got upset and she left that day, and nobody really questioned it. But everybody's like, "Huh, that's weird." 
They asked her about it. She didn't remember no phone call, no phone call right? Blah, blah, blah. There was only one guy. His name was Reg Brown, who was like, I know. He was like the he was like that one guy. If you watch Dexter, the fucking fucking he was the 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 he was Sergeant Stokes. Like, I don't trust you motherfucking conniving bitch. There's something wrong with you. Because before there was another operation where uh they had a bunch of info and a bunch of evidence on like a bunch of drug moves that these Cubans were making, high political vicious, blah blah blah. Anyways, when it was coming like two days before they were gonna crack down on that, um Cuba was tipped off. They killed any, almost everybody involved, dismissed the rest, and the US couldn't do anything about it. And he was like, What the fuck? What the what the fuck? And then when this whole thing with the hermanos had the plane, uh, you know, fiasco happened, he was like, well, she set up the meeting, he realized. He's like, there's something not right about her. There's something not right. But it's like, I got to come with my eggs in a basket. I got to come with everything in a row, my ducks in order, my eggs, whatever, because this could really backfire on me if I'm wrong. The guy, Carmichael, conducting the investigation, kept dismissing all the red flags um, that kind of came up in the investigation. And ultimately, she was let go until like four or five years later. I think something else may have happened. Uh, This other guy came in and basically the way he figured out, the way they figured out, she ended up being convicted as a spy for conspiracy to, you know, to spy on you, whatever the fuck you call that charge. And she was, uh, they, how did they do it? God damn it. What the fuck? Hold on. How did they do it? Guys, I'm so sorry. Stay with me. Stay with me. Yeah, so basically she uh, visited Guantanamo at some point in July 4th, 1996, right? It's in the 4th of July. But she would have need, she would have needed clearance to get there four months in advance, right? Um. And the CIA, or I think it was the the NSA had tipped off the CIA and the DIA that, you know, there was a spy up there. They don't know what it is, but there's a spy from Washington, coming from Washington, giving highly sensitive information. And they go back to the logs to people who were requesting to go to Guantanamo. And boom, lo and behold, it was Annabelle Montes, right? Long story short, though all the red flags were there. She wasn't this crazy, conniving, like, very intelligent um, spy that people... Actually, I think you go back and read and they say that um, a bunch of codes and, and, and a lot of the protocols she had in terms of that word that, that was used to, get from her, to communicate from her to Cuba or whatever, like, she hid that in her purse. Like, um, like a lot of, like, very sloppy shit. Like, it wasn't nothing crazy. Um, but this goes back to the default to truth theory, and it's this psychologist, Tim Levine, um, he, he kind of breaks it down where it's as the tendency, us as humans have the tendency to basically give people the benefit of the doubt up to the point where a trigger happens and that trigger being an over, it's like basically something that casts such a big doubt in your head that you can't really explain it away so basically saying that us as humans we have the tendency to explain everything away 
until it is no longer of no longer that you can explain it away right then there's no room for doubt there's no room for 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 thinking oh well maybe it's because of this maybe because of no 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 the evidence is too overwhelming and he kind of did it um he had this experiment where he uh what was the experiment he had college students come in and play a trivia game with really hard trivia questions and they were supposed to take it with a partner who they didn't know and you know part of the uh part of the study was they would go in they would take it the proctor would be there and all of a sudden the proctor had to leave and all and then right there as the test taker a red a flag is raised right okay i know i'm in some sort of study now the uh the guys leaving and the answers are here. This is almost too good to be true, right? So the red flags are there. Lo and behold, they don't know is that the partner that they have is also part of the study, and that partner is basically trying to egg you on to cheat. And what he found, going back, and then, like, he would have these people, um, he would have these people, like, a bunch of other people, Malcolm Gladwell included, like, and psychologists, and they would go back and look at the tapes and see if you could tell who was lying and who was not about whether they cheated or not. And turns out it was really only about 56% hit rate, which seems, right, seems like it's just a toss of a coin. Like, we, we really, as humans, haven't developed the skill of detecting, um, of having, like, these really astute deception detecting skills, right? But then what they later found out is he, they, they split it up. And what was interesting was that it was they were split it up in terms of like the people who were lying and people who were telling the truth. It was like 22 and 22. There was 44 videos in, in general, in total. And what he found was that people are more likely to find, to be right about people that were telling the truth as opposed to write about people who were telling a lie. Which goes back to what I was explaining in terms of we have, as humans, just the inclination, we are inclined to automatically give the benefit of the doubt and to think somebody's telling the truth as opposed to lying, right? And then he frames this theory in the Bernie Madoff case um, as to why he got away with it for as long as he did. In the Jerry Zandusky um, case, which was honestly like one of the most fucking disturbing chapters I've read in a book, but it's like you read it and it's just like, oh, my God, like the fact that the trial, like it's like you read a lot of the highlights and the things that happen in the trial. And you would think it's something so open and shut. But then you go back and you read a lot of the a lot of the back and forth that went between. And the fact that like, you know, the fact that parents and even certain victims like they just had those like, no, but he's such a nice guy. He would never do blah, 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 like just explaining away. Um, you know, reasons why he, there's no way he can be a fucking rapist, a fucking serial rapist. Um, and yeah, that's really interesting. And that's just one of, that's actually one of three of them, two or three of the main things when it comes to, you know, I guess reading human beings. Another one being like, uh, he talks about transparency. Um, he talks about transparency, transparency being... He opens that chapter or sort of that section of the book with the friend's fallacy, 
um, where he breaks down this episode of Friends when Ross or Joy, whatever. So one of I don't watch Friends. Like one of them was sleeping with one of like they were having a secret relationship with another sister, but the whole time he's breaking it down. Like you could like basically you could watch the show with no sound on and know exactly what's happening because the characters it's written all over their faces, right? And the Friends fallacy he explains is that that in real life people don't work that way. And it's the reason why he, he talks about Amanda Knox, who was wrongfully imprisoned in Italy um, for the murder of uh, one of her friends or someone that she had met recently um, because she acted really funny in the investigation. And she was doing a lot of quirky, really silly shit that you wouldn't expect someone's friend to have died, someone, someone to behave after their friend just died, right? And because she behaved in a way that didn't match the situation, she calls that mismatching, right? Like your behavior is mismatching what is the expected of behavior of whatever just happened, right? And her behavior was completely mismatched to the point where like, this bitch is crazy. She must have done it. And she was wrongfully imprisoned for like, I think it was like five years in an Italian jail or whatever, some shit like that. Um, and then he talks about coupling... Um, which is has to do with the fact like he um, where you are more likely to do something if you have access to that. So he talks about he first frames it within suicide, and then he talks about it with like policing. Um, but I'll quickly summarize sort of the uh, the um, this where he talks about Sylvia Plath, who was this poet in um. This famous poet back in the twenties, I want to say, or maybe even the, I think it might have been like pre or post World War. I don't know. Um, where she was uh, a tragic poet. She ended. I think she ended up taking her own life. Um, but uh, a lot of the ways people like, especially with women, the way they took their life back in the day, the, they did it through basically carbon monoxide poisoning. And what he found was that when they changed sort of the gas. Um, when they switched from whatever the crude gas they were using to like more natural gas where you couldn't kill yourself from carbon monoxide poisoning by turning your oven on um, and just filling your, like, and making a face mask, like, suicide rates went went down, right? So it's just like, you are less likely to commit, I don't know, it's, that one's a little bit trickier. I'm kind of rereading that. But it's a really interesting book in terms of ways to look at, uh, you know, how human beings behave, and why or why not, um, uh, you know, why or why not we are good or not good at, to, to, you know, making sense of a stranger, so to speak, you know, in its essence. Um, so I, I, I recommend that book. It's called Steve. Uh, it's called well, Steve. Why did I say Steve? Where the fuck? Are I? I think I'm getting a fucking heat stroke right now. I'm fucking talking. It's called When Strangers Are... Um, what to what what we know about strangers or no <laughs> god damn it it is called talking to strangers by Malcolm Gladwell I highly recommend it okay and that concludes today's segment of read yourself to death I hope I didn't confuse you too much and I promise that I'll come back stronger next time folks um but I will conclude this episode again shout outs shout out shout out to my sister, 
who starts brown in like a week, and she's back on her eye, and I'm so happy to have her back. Um, shout out to my boy Tom to um, for those weekend tickets. We ha- I had a really good time uh, with you on Thursday, man. I really appreciate you thinking of me and taking me to that concert because I fucking love the weekend. Um, and also, I have, if, as you can see, I have my Maya's Voice uh, shirt on. So for those of you who don't know, Maya, um, Maya Brophy uh, um, Borman, I hope I'm saying her name correctly, uh, she was um, a friend of ours who tragically passed away. It's been almost a year to the day. Um, unfortunately, she was caught up in uh, a drive-by shooting, which is someone of... Um, of someone like her, you is the last place you would expect for her even be rem- nearly even remote a victim uh, to such violence, and it's really unfortunate. Um, so she 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 passed away tragically a year ago, uh, and she has this uh, you know friends and family has started this scholarship fund called Maya's Voice, and it is a scholarship fund for students um, who want to study at under. Uh, uh, um, it's a scholarship fund for students looking to study in either Rhode Island College or University of Rhode Island that are looking to get a, a degree in like a in speech. Um, it's a, a speech. Uh, I'm sorry, I should have been more prepared for this. I'm sorry, my uh, friends and family, uh, for butchering this. But I do want to bring awareness to this because her scholarship fund names pursuing a field, basically in uh, pursuing in field and helping stu- uh, kids or people with communicative disorders like speech, language, pathology, and audiology. Um, Maya, she had had just got her, I want to say her grad degree uh, from Northeastern last year, and she was, you know, on her way to fucking doing big things, and unfortunately, she got caught up in a a drive-by shooting. Um, She was so young, man. But yeah, go. I have her shirt. This is supporting her scholarship. You can go look it up on Instagram. Um... And there's a link in the bio for more uh, for more info on her scholarship fund and how you can donate and how you can help. So, yeah, this is my Maya's voice shirt. I think her birthday was, like, this weekend. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, she passed away very close to her birthday. So, um, But, yeah, go check that out and go help if you can. I really don't have anything else. I hope you guys enjoyed. So, until next time, you dirtbags, holla. Damn, it is so fucking hot.